I'm going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the conscience. It's been a while since we've addressed this in a sermon, although we have spent quite a bit of deal, uh, quite a deal of time talking about the conscience, uh, and specifically within some of those lessons. And I might urge you to go back and look because I will not address them in great detail today. But regarding the conscience, there are a lot of things that we talked about during study where we could have discussion. And a lot of that revolved around not just our conscience regarding the faith, but also regarding matters of personal faith or what we would call scruples. And I'll mention that here today. You may wonder why I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this. Uh, this week, many of you know, I mentioned it on Wednesday that we had an audit taking place within the uh, facilities that we work at. Uh, and as we were there in the opening meeting, I noticed the auditor made a very unusual statement. Now, it may seem unusual to me and maybe not to those around. And I was listening very closely as he said that as they were auditing to the standard within our manufacturing facilities, he said, if we find something that is wrong or is a nonconformance, he said, we will not tell the employee because we don't want them to feel bad. I began to think a little bit about that. And there's a logical question. Now, not to say that the issue doesn't need to be fixed, because it will. They will tell us, and then we would go fix the issue. But my question as I, or to myself as I began to sit there and listen to him, why is it that the employee would feel bad? Well, the reason the employee would feel bad is, is they would most likely have a conscience issue based on the fact that they know the company has certain expectations or a standard by which they are to meet. And then because they did not meet the standard, they would have a conscience issue. And I began to listen to him, and I began to think to myself, well, that's the same thing for the Christian regarding the faith. And so I thought, you know, as I began to talk to him, and I said, I think I might spend some time talking about adhering to the standard, because that's what we were talking about. And, but as I began to think about it, uh, it goes much greater than just the struggle of dealing with a conscience, because if one doesn't have an understanding of, of the actual standard itself and how the conscience and those two things interact... Uh, one really is void of the, of the knowledge that might allow them to get to heaven. Now, for some people, they might not care. Just as we might have employees in the plant that don't care about whether they meet the standard or not, the same thing is true about those regarding their conscience and getting to heaven. Now, certainly the struggle for uh, being acceptable within God's sight, or sometimes it is the struggle for praise within ourselves according to our conscience, uh, causes a serious issue for us. And when we begin to break this down, really the idea of the conscience really is for one to do what they, what they know or what they believe to be right. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that because those two things may be different. But listen to Romans 14.22 and then I'm going to put it back into context. In Romans 14.22, Paul says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he Alloweth. Now, Paul's point here in this passage is that when something is allowed, it shouldn't cause us a conscience issue. And yet, we also have to be careful that we don't allow those things that are allowed or the freedoms that we're allowed to partake in to cause another Christian to stumble due to their personal faith in matters of what we would call uh, expedience, oftentimes scruples that kind of go together. And I'll break it down here in just a second. But our conscience is affected in a number of different areas. Sometimes it's regarding things of a doctrinal issue, and sometimes it's not things of a doctrinal issue. The issue is that our conscience struggles based on our personal faith. Now, let me give you an example. Let's use doctrinal issues first. There are many things in the Bible which we know we should and should not do. An example of something I should not do would be the example to go out and to commit fornication if I'm not married, or to commit adultery if I am married, or to go out and to steal. And I know that those are clearly standards of God, and so in those issues they are doctrinal issues. And when I break those things, when I break those commandments or those requirements, I begin to have a conscience issue. Now there are also things that we would call issues of personal faith or scruples. Let me give you an example. You have some people who believe that to be right with God when they come to worship, they must wear a suit and a tie. Or for the ladies, maybe they must wear a dress. And they oftentimes will base that on a biblical precept of they believe they need to be modest and they need to show reverence. And in their mind, their personal faith has created this 
it's not taught in the Bible, but it has created this mindset of, of themselves that I must wear a suit and a tie or I must wear you know, a dress. <clears throat> You've got congregations who don't think they're scriptural unless, for example, they have an evening service. We don't find anything taught about suit, suits and ties in the Bible. We don't find the, any mandate for a second service. However, during World War II, due to shift work, most of the churches of Christ began to have a later service to accommodate and that is what they grew up knowing. And so for the congregations they think are sound, they've always had a second service. And so in their mind, you're not faithful unless you have a second service. My point is simply this. There are a number of things our conscience deals with. Sometimes they're doctrinal issues. Sometimes there are scruples. But the unusual thing about scruples is, is they are normally based on a passage from the Scriptures or a concept from the Scriptures, such as modesty or so forth. There's, no, there's nothing required about a suit and tie, but we would all agree that there is a teaching regarding modesty, right? They've allowed that within their own mind to equate to being one and the same. They're not. And so we have to understand that, and that's really the struggle. The struggle is, is for us to have a conscience uh, which is pure regarding things which are sinful, or sometimes which we think are sinful, but they might not actually be. Listen to Acts 24, 16. Paul says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of... I want you to listen closely to this. Have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. All right. Paul wants to make sure that his conscience is not affected by his, by his behavior, either towards God and the fact that he didn't follow those doctrinal commandments regard, uh, necessary for him, or two towards other people. Now, that would, be, that would include being both in alignment with <clears throat> God's doctrine, but also in not violating somebody else's conscience regarding matters of personal faith. We're talking really here about matters of scruple. What's his point? He doesn't want to sin, sin against God according to the word that's required of him, uh, and he, he doesn't want to co uh, condemn those that might have a teaching based on a precept of that. Let me go back and try to explain what I'm saying. Paul doesn't want to offend God by sinning against God. That's the first part. It's easy. But Paul also doesn't want to affect the conscience of another who believes, for example, a suit and tie are required. Now, here's the thing. Wearing a suit and tie is not going to get me into heaven. And not wearing a suit and tie is not going to keep me out of heaven. But the way in which I deal with my brethren regarding these issues may. And I'm not suggesting that they should be allowed to bind teaching on me, but the way in which I interact as I try to bring them to a knowledge of the fact that here's the biblical standard for modesty, and it doesn't include a suit and a tie. And as I begin to try to get them to understand that, guys, whether they wear a suit and a tie and whether they believe that as I'm trying to work that out with them, that's not going to keep me out of heaven or them out of heaven, but the way that I deal with them might. Guys, that is a great problem within the Lord's church. There are certain areas where we fight and bicker over things that we ought not to be fighting and bickering over. Now, that's not to say that there aren't doctrinal issues. There are. But again, just as the doctrinal issue of modesty is certainly a doctrinal issue, there are some with struggle in, in how to carry out the, the command to be modest. They are weaker brethren in that sense, and we need to love them and teach them. I'm not suggesting we leave them there. But the way in which I interact in that, that right there is what I really need to be concerned about. Let's talk a little bit about the conscience here as we go back and kind of define it. Now, we've done this before. Uh, literally, if you go back and look up the Latin word, the, the word conscience really comes from, from uh, the words meaning knowing together with oneself. The Greek word, which is sunidesis, actually has the exact same meaning as really the Latin word here or that we would use in our English. And I went back and I began to look at Thayer's to see how they kind of define this. And here's really what they say, and it's actually a pretty good definition. And remember, this definition would apply to everybody with a conscience. We're not just talking about Christians. But it really, it really defines conscience. Here's what they said. They said, the soul distinguishes between what is morally good and bad. Let me pause for a second. That is true. Now, Christians may have a completely different standard from those around us, but we all have a conscience, and that's what the conscience does. It distinguishes between what the person thinks is good or has been taught is good and that which is bad. They go on. 
prompting to do the good, or you could say allowing the good, and shunning the bad, commending the good, and condemning the bad. That's the case for both Christians and non-Christians. The real issue is, is that we as Christians may not have uh, our conscience based on the same standard that they are using. That there really uh, is where the problem is going to come from regarding the world around us. Let's go over to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul's going to deal with the non-Christians here, but he will assure us that they do have a conscience, even though they're not yet Christians. You'll have people, let me pause for a second. You'll have people that will really teach, well, you know, the non-Christian, they, they can't know right from wrong because they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to, to lead them. How many guys have ever heard that kind of nonsense kind of talk? That's not true. Uh, this has nothing to do with the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about Gentiles here who are not Christians. They're not in any way being led, what they should be led by is the Word of God, but they're not being led by any uh, supernatural force or anything, and he says they have a conscience. So that, that teaching is just purely false. Listen to what Paul says. For when the Gentiles, <clears throat> these, are, uh, these are not followers of God, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Let me pause for a minute. Whether you know anything about God or not, it is clearly understood in, all, in virtually all societies by all men, it is not okay for me to go out on the street and kill someone. It's just morally understood. There are certain things we know are wrong. And the case was so for those even though they were not followers of God. Verse 15, he says, "...which show the work of the law written in their hearts." The Bible talks about not killing people, doesn't it? Well, the Gentile, they're under that law whether they know it or not, but even their common sense of morality says it's not okay to go out and kill people. He goes on, "...their conscience..." Remember, these are people not followers of God. "...their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another." Now, that's important because the conscience, if you'll notice there, is not guiding them. It's either accusing or excusing. We're going to touch on that here in a little bit. There's a judgment taking place by the conscience. How many of you guys have heard someone say, just let your conscience, just let your conscience guide you? We're going to talk about that. That's a serious danger. Paul shows that the non-Christian, just as the, or the, the non-follower of God, just as the follower of God, uh, has a conscience. And although the word conscience is never used within our Old Testament, we can clearly see through a number of examples that it did exist. And here's the first one that really comes to mind. Let's go on over to Genesis chapter 3. And, and this, will make, this will make sense because if any of you guys were, uh, uh, I don't know why, but if, if any of you guys were by chance in your kitchen when this occurred and the mailman came to the house, you'd be just as scared. Genesis 3, 7 through 10. And the eyes of them, talking about Adam and Eve, were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. You guys ever been caught in a situation where somebody walked upon you and you didn't have any clothes on? They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Didn't, wouldn't you guys do that if you were in a situation where someone accidentally came upon you, you didn't know they were there? Well, what do you do if you're not modest? You hide yourselves, don't you? Adam and Eve are doing that. He goes on and he says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." Well, guys, if they didn't have any sense of uh, common sense of morality, of modesty, and we could spend a lot of time on this, or if there was a standard regarding nakedness, they wouldn't have gone out and they wouldn't have hid themselves. The thing is, is they were hiding themselves as a direct response to the fact that their conscience said, you're not, you're not covered. And so therefore, you're in a situation where this is not appropriate. And so we can see their conscience uh, in play right here and the effect of it, okay? The conscience has always been present for men and women from the very beginning of time. But with that, we can, be, we can say and we can also see within our scriptures that there are many people who have allowed their conscience to be, I guess, misguided, to be misdirected, to be misunderstood, or, or to uh, take the wrong path simply because they were taught wrong. That happens within religious groups. They're taught wrong. It happens within those in the world who are of no religious affiliation whatsoever. 
And so we have to get a little bit of understanding about this. The conscience tries, the conscience tries within everybody, whether they follow God or not, to judge their actions. Now let's talk about the conscience guiding. I said I was going to talk about this for just a second. The conscience that is within each of us, it judges our thoughts and our actions. It does not guide us. Many times you hear people say things like that. Let your conscience be your guide. Just, just be sincere and follow your conscience or follow your heart and everything will be okay. The conscience is not to guide. The conscience is to judge. Right? It looks at what I have done and then my, my inner being looks at what I've done and then it judges. That was acceptable. That was not acceptable. Now, that may influence my future actions, but the actual conscience itself is not guiding me. It's basically giving me the basis or the foundation upon which I make decisions and future decisions on whether I should or should not do something. Okay? So the very fact that a person's conscience may appear to be good or that he appears to be sincere doesn't necessarily make somebody right. How many of you guys have ever had a, had a discussion with someone where they said, well, you know, my, that doesn't affect my conscience at all. And so I don't believe, for example, that that's wrong. Most of us have had a conversation with someone like that. That doesn't make that person right. We could go back and look. Go ahead and turn on over to Acts 17. We could go back and look at examples of where we have pagans. They're living in the existence of, of idol or idolatry, idol worship. They have a good conscience. They're very sincere in what it is that they're doing and what it is that they believe. But nevertheless, this doesn't make them right. And it doesn't make their worship acceptable. Listen to Acts 17, 16 through 17. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city wholly given to idolatry. And therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul sees a group of people who are extremely religious, so much so that they're, and they're doing these things based on the fact that their conscience is telling them this is necessary. They worshiped in a number of different ways to a number of different gods. But the very fact that these people are doing these things because they were raised to worship multiple gods in the form of statues or idols, uh, and their conscience had no problem with it, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they are acceptable even if they could go home at night and sleep good because of it. Guys, that's really an issue when we begin to talk about the world around us. Let's bring it to a little bit more present time from the first century. We'll start off, though, with the Orthodox Jew. The Orthodox Jews reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. They have no conscience issue uh, in the fact that they reject Jesus as the Messiah. And it doesn't cause them any type of a conscience problem. They're still waiting, they believe, for the Messiah. There's a religious person who has no conscience issue rejecting Christ. Then you have people today who are not religious at all. How about the atheist? They, like the Orthodox Jew, reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah. For, for most parts, they reject all religion outright, and they have no conscience issue doing such. Here's what I looked up. I went and looked this up as I was working on this. 65% of Americans, as of this recent poll, believe that moral truth is relative to circumstance, while only 35% of Americans who were polled actually believe that moral truth is absolute. Let me break that down for you. 65% mean that there is no moral absolute. Some of those people claim to be Christians. Here's how they believe. They can claim to be a Christian, and they could even go to the Scriptures and say, I realize that God has a standard wit written within His Scriptures that says, do not fornicate, do not commit adultery, do not lie. And then they make an exception based on the circumstance, such as, God has told me not to fornicate. However, I believe if two people really love one another, it's okay. So they don't believe in moral absolutes. They believe it's based on circumstance. They can see the absolute standard, but they bypass the standard based on personal feelings. 65% of America thinks that way. 35% of America, and I would say these are probably your very conservative, fundamental religious groups and or conservative, religious, fundamental, spiritually minded people that may not even go to a church somewhere, 
they do believe there are moral absolutes. So, for example, when God says do not commit fornication, that means do not commit fornication. Absolutely. Do not commit adultery. Absolutely. Do not steal. And again, only 35% of Americans polled believe there were moral absolutes. Now, some of those people may not even be religious. They may have secular moral absolutes, such as do not murder. Okay? So again, when you begin to look at the makeup of America, 65% do not believe in moral absolutes, 35% do. That has shifted greatly over the last 100 years, and that's based on our secular society. Now we go back and we begin to look at God's Word. It clearly teaches that one should act in harmony with their conscience, but the issue is, is the conscience has to have the proper standard, and the proper standard is the Word of God. Now sadly, we go back and we can look at Probably many of us, even within our own upbringing, realize that one's training or their environment might lead them to believe error and yet have a good conscience. And that's true for both the Christian and the non-Christian. I was raised as a Catholic, good Catholic, right? I was an altar boy. Family members that have been in the past, priests and nuns, uh, very re religious-minded. We went to church every week, but we never opened a Bible. But many of the things that I was brought up to be taught or trained in, they gave me a good conscience. I thought I was going to heaven because I was a Catholic. The same thing is true for many people out in the religious world or, or even in the, not, in the unreligious world. Like They were brought up thinking this. How many of you guys have ever heard it? Everybody that I know says it. Good people go to heaven. They've just simply been mistaught. Well, here's where we have to start, not just with the religious world around us, not just with the unreligious people around us, but also with ourselves, is, is, is a person could be wrong, sincerely. We've all seen that take place. Anybody can be honestly mistaken. However, once we're confronted or shown the truth, we either cease to be mistaken or we cease to be honest. And I know that's kind of hard to say or maybe hard to hear, it's not enough for me to be sincere. It's not enough for me to have a good conscience. That just leads to a life on this earth whereby I, I don't have a conscience issue. I need to have the right standard, which is the Word of God, which allows me to not be found guilty at the judgment. Now let's listen to Hebrews 9.27. I'll read over to verse 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Let me pause. My conscience judges my actions within this life. And my conscience could be correct and based on the correct standard. My conscience also could be incorrect and based on the wrong standard. However, here's what I know. According to the Scriptures, everybody will die. And everybody will be judged, and that judgment will be by the Word of God, John 12, 48. And there is no room for play within the final judgment. And that really ought to be my concern. Let me continue on. Because there's a way to deal with this problem. There is going to be a judgment. You're either going to be found righteous or you're going to be found unrighteous. Paul, sorry, the writers of Hebrew, I believe possibly was Paul. He says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. There's going to be a judgment process. My conscience is great if, it, if it's trained correctly to help me judge matters regarding uh, morality in this life. But ultimately, there will be a final judgment. And again, that judgment will be based on the Word of God. And although my judgment may have, may have error, that judgment will not. It, it's going to be strictly based on the Word of God. And so that's what I need to worry about. So here, here's the next question then. With that being understood that there will be a final judgment, that it's going to be based on the Word of God, and that I do want to be found righteous if I want to go to heaven, how exactly can I have, or how can man in general have a good conscience? That's the next logical step as we work through the conscience. Well, as we go back, and let's start with the Jews first. As we go back and we look under the Old Testament system, we have talked about this in great detail, not, not only within sermons, but also within Bible study. It was impossible fully for the Jew to obtain a full guilt-free conscience. And that's because the blood of Christ had not been shed. Now, there was the shedding of blood yearly done uh, for their sins, but the problem was is the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. 
Let's go on over to Hebrews 9, chapter 9. These guys were coming back year after year after year, remembering that they were, they were sinners. They were not adhering perfectly to the Word of God, and therefore they had to have a way to reconcile that. Hebrews 9, 9. Which was a figure for the time then present, in which, we were, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. His conscience was never completely guilt-free because he knew he had to do this again next year. Every year he had to keep coming back and doing this because the sins weren't permanently removed. There was the ongoing need for the blood. Look at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, perch your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of bulls and goats was offered year after year after year. And their conscience knew I had to keep coming back and doing this because I'm not completely forgiven. The blood of Christ, which was offered once and offered uh, remission of sins, that changed that for the follower of God under the new system. And so let's begin to talk about the new system here. And that's the system that's in place right now. That's according to our New Testament. Now, through obedience and baptism, one can appeal to God for a good conscience. One, can, one who is not a follower of God, whose conscience is now driving them through knowledge to be a follower of God, can seek after or obtain the good conscience. Listen to 1 Peter 3.21. We're going to break this down just a little bit. 1 Peter 3.21, Peter says, The like figure, that word there, if you look it up in the original language, is... Uh, Antitypon, or the antitype. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, if you go back and look at the other translations, the ASV here for the word answer has the word interrogation. Probably not the best word to help someone understand what's going on here. The Greek word is actually defined as the word inquiry. More interesting, if you go over and look, most people don't have this translation, but you look at the Living Oracles translation, it translates this word as seeking. Now, the Greek word inquiry and his translation there of the word seeking, to inquire is to seek, right? That seems to make some sense. What we understand when you begin to really do some study on this passage is, is that when one goes down into the water, when they determine to be baptized for the remission of sins because they see that that is the standard and their conscience is telling them you've got to be in alignment with the standard, they do that because they are seeking a good conscience. And that's because only the blood of Christ can wash away sins. Jesus shed His blood in his death. Listen to Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Where do we find that phrase, remission of sins? Do we find that anywhere else? Yes, we do. We find over in Acts 2, 38 that we are baptized, we're immersed into water for the remission of sins. The idea is, as we contact the blood when we obey the standard, and in such doing, we then get a clear conscience. For the one who is not a follower of God, it is only in baptism that one can reach the benefits of the blood by being baptized into his death. Let me read a verse, a passage you're all familiar with, Romans 6, 3, and 4. And this is for anybody watching this online who is not a Christian or who was not baptized for the remission of sins. You really need to listen closely. A lot of people are baptized as an outward sign of inward grace. We already showed in Matthew 26, 28 that the uh, blood was shed for the remission of sins. We are baptized for the remission of sins. You cannot separate uh, the blood and, and the act of baptism. Listen to Romans 6, 3, and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? You ever heard someone say, how is it we get into Christ? Well, the Scriptures teach we are baptized into Christ. That's where we contact the blood. Notice verse 4. Therefore we are buried with Him 
by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have a newness of life because Jesus shed His blood for the remission of sins, Matthew 26, 28. We were baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, and therefore as we come up out of that watery grave, we now are a new person. We have newness of life because we are a new creation in Christ. The blood of Christ and the inspired promise of the remission of sins are both received when we actually get immersed in water. Our sins are forgiven and we can have a good conscience. I think that's the easiest part. And for those that are watching this who maybe are not yet Christians, it's not complicated. We'll address it at the end just briefly. Becoming a Christian is not the hard part. I think the hard part is when we are Christians. It's really the struggle that we have to maintain a good conscience. And that's why we, people talk about those who are, those who are legalists, which they use, they use the word inappropriately. It's wrong. They talk about those who have scruples. But let me ask you a question. Why do people within the churches of Christ either go the wrong way where people, where they actually go into being like the Jews? They're carrying through the actions uh, in what they think is necessary. And or why do, why do people have scruples? Why do you think people do that? Do you think it's based solely on their sincere desire to be right with God? I'd say majority of the time it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they've just been mistaught. But this, is, this constant struggle we have for our conscience leads to a number of issues. It leads to issues because I know that I fall short of the standard and I struggle with that. It leads to issues because sometimes I misunderstand the requirement and I then have matters of judgment or scruples and I struggle with that. Sometimes it's not my scruple. I see someone else with a scruple and I struggle, I struggle with the fact that they have a scruple. Let me go back to it. Is wearing a suit and tie going to keep anyone out of heaven? Why do you care if the guy thinks he has to wear a suit and tie? He needs to be taught, right? I'm not suggesting he's left in the dark. But in the meantime, while we're working that out as brethren, loving one another, wearing a suit and tie is not going to get him to heaven, and not wearing a suit and tie is not going to keep one out. And he may not fully comprehend that, but the way in which I interact with him, because of his conscience and because of my conscience, that's important. I think we've lost an awful lot of that within the churches of Christ. This struggle has to be based on the Word, and that's why I said it's, it's not that we want to leave someone unknowledgeable and leave them thinking that they can go around binding that scruple. We have to understand that there needs to be diligent study as this struggle is playing out in our life. Listen to 1 Peter 2.2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. I mentioned before, when I first became a Christian, I did not know, and I struggled with, could I have a Christmas tree in my house? I didn't know. Can I have a, can I have a Christmas tree? I don't worship. I've never, since I became a Christian, worshipped uh, on Christmas as a, religious as a religious mandated day. I've never done that. And I knew that I shouldn't do that. But on a secular level... I do love, I love opening presents, don't you guys? Christmas is a big time, even though the world may not understand why we do it. But on a secular level, is it wrong to have a Christmas tree? I struggled with that. I know people who do not have a Christmas tree. It bothers their conscience. And you know what I say in that case? Throw it out in the yard. Don't have a Christmas tree in your house. Uh, and, and if you do have a Christmas tree, don't go tell that guy you got a Christmas tree. Why bother his conscience? But at the same time, throughout the year, I'm going to have interesting conversations with that gentleman and say, hey, can you, you lead me to the understanding as to why you believe such? We can't leave people in the dark. We have to continue to grow by the Word. I wish knowledge alone was enough. Unfortunately, it's not because I'm also going to struggle in other areas, such as self-discipline. There are many who know the Word of God. They know the standard of God uh, and their conscience is judging them based off of that, and yet they still struggle. And if every one of us would be honest here today, we would say within ourselves, and we say this to anybody watching online, Christians are going to continuously sin throughout their life. I'm not talking every day. I hope we go months and 
long periods between those sins, but we're, gonna, we're going to sin. We're going to struggle, even though we may know that it is acceptable uh, or what is required of us and, and is acceptable. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There is self-discipline taking place in what Paul talks about here. But I want to focus in on a word. He uses the word castaway. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys have ever seen the movie Castaway. Anybody? Nod your head if you've ever seen the movie Castaway. He was lost at that point, wasn't he? That's a whole other sermon. I think we could actually cover that. But the word castaway, it, it is talking about someone who was lost. The actual word here, castaway, in a lot of places within our scriptures is actually translated as reprobate. If you're reprobate, you are lost. It actually means to be rejected. It means to not withstand the test. In all of those cases, just as in that movie, which I'm not condoning or endorsing, it's been so long since I've seen it, that person is lost. To be, to be a castaway due to sin is to be somebody who is rejected, who is disqualified because they've not been subject to God's law. And Paul says, I don't want that to happen to me, so therefore I need self-discipline. That's true for the Christian, and in many areas we know that we oftentimes come short. I mean, the goal of the whole struggle is to avoid condemnation and to save my soul while at the same time I'm trying to save the souls of others. That's really how the conscience is playing out here. Listen to Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is the whole idea, again, of strong self-discipline. But it's not just strong self-discipline. It is strong self-discipline based on a goal. And basically what, what you've got Paul saying here is, is I, I see the goal ahead of me, and I have a plan to get there. How many of you guys have ever had to, had to accomplish a task? And what you did was you set out the goal, and then you, you wrote down all the necessary steps to get there. This is how simple it is for Christians to understand. The goal we see in the Scriptures is to make it to heaven. The steps are laid out within our Scriptures. But what is the hard part? It is always in carrying out the steps, right? We understand the goal. We could even understand the Word of God which declares the steps. But the problem for us is, is there's that struggle in carrying it all out. So let's talk a little bit about the struggle. If our own heart condemns us, we have a number of issues. I just wrote down two that really come to mind as we start the conversation. I could have a struggle with my conscience regarding truth. What I mean is, is I, I know the truth and I didn't adhere to it. And therefore, I have a conscience issue. And I should. The second issue is, is I have a conscience issue according to my scruples. Again, scruples are almost always based on a concept from the Scriptures and or a passage in itself. And so I may not actually be doing anything wrong, but I may think that I'm doing something wrong. And in both of those situations, my heart may condemn me. Let's go on over to 1 John 3, look at verse 19 through 21. And hereby we, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So God requires us to have a good conscience, and yet there's a struggle within that. But listen to 1 Timothy 1.5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. If I don't keep my conscience pure, I'm definitely not going to be able to stand in purity on the day of judgment. Listen to Ephesians 
I love to hear the pages turning, guys. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, if you go back and look up either commentators or even sound brethren, you find a lot of them will disagree on this term here, evil day. Many of them are divided. Some think this is solely referring to the day of any day of temptation or sin, where others think that this deals solely with the day of judgment. But I would have to say in both cases, uh, conscience is going to be an issue because my conscience is going to be at play. Whether it's in the evil day in which I'm being tempted by sin, uh, that's important because my conscience needs to be rightly grounded so that I can assert within myself whether this is okay or not okay. And again, it's because I need to have a good conscience and I need to have, I need to have confidence in that. If, if they are talking about the, the final day of judgment, Again, that plays because everything up until the final day, at least in which I die, all of those things, whether I have done good or done not good, they're based on what? The judgment of my conscience. And so again, we have this struggle. And when somebody has an impure conscience, the mind has become reprobate and it's going to be unfit to withstand the trials of temptation. That could be because either I'm not following the Word of God and I'm, I just don't want to, it could be because I'm struggling with following the, work of God, the Word of God, or it could be because I've even added to it my own assessment of what is required in the matter of scruple. All of that is tied in there. And that's all going to be accounted for there on the Day of Judgment. Listen to Romans 1.28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They didn't want God in their knowledge. They wanted to be able to do those things they wanted to do, whether that was with a clean conscience or whether their conscience just was not affected. But simply put, the danger to a person's conscience, whether you're, uh, well, if you're not a Christian at all, the danger to your, your conscience is, is that it could be completely misguided. And in that case, you would probably never obey the gospel. Now, regarding a Christian, the case is, is that your conscience could become defiled. It could be mis. Uh, it could become unbalanced by being mistaught. Listen to Titus 1, 15 and 16. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. I'm going to go back and use that phrase I used the other night during Bible study. A person can say that they are a moral person. They can say they're a good person. They can say they're a follower of God. But the proof is in the pudding. That's how I would put it. Uh, we could go back and look at your actions and learn whether or not you're pure. Your conscience in and of itself, again, doesn't mean that you're right. And that's something we have to remember as we deal with people around us. At this stage where we learn here in Titus 1, 15 and 16, where he's talking about people being ab abominable, where he's saying that they are disobedient, where every work is reprobate, at this stage people are past feeling. That is many out in the world around us. That could also be Christians uh, who are no longer affected by their conscience. Ephesians 4, 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There is a struggle that takes place. The struggle takes place even with those who are not yet Christians. Uh, and you'll know that because you can talk with a person who is not a Christian and you can ask them regarding issues of morality and even they will tell you that they struggle with certain things being done. I, don't, I personally do not know any non-Christians that think it is okay to go out and kill people. I personally don't. Uh, and they would struggle with the fact that, that society around them would say that's okay. All right. So the struggle is real whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. Let's talk about some practical application here as I start to draw this to a close. Here's one of the questions we need to start off asking. At least this is the, this is the question I asked as I began to think, as I'm learning all of this about the conscience, what are the questions I need to ask? Am I considering all the areas and the people in my life that may affect my conscience? That's the logical question, right? If I know that I need to have a pure conscience and I know that my conscience needs to be grounded in the truth so that I make appropriate decisions, the real question for me today, 
that would apply and change my life as a Christian is what are the areas around me or the people around me that may cause me to have conscience issues? And here's the next question specifically, will my associations with activities and or people cause me to have corrupt morals? Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. Be not deceived. Evil communications, or way of living, corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Notice this. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, he says there are people out there that don't have the knowledge of God. Now, that's going to apply to Christians. It will also apply to non-Christian uh, friends and, and acquaintances around us. We have to go back and begin to ask ourselves in our everyday lives, our, every, our everyday activities, which of those may cause me to sin? Let me take it down to another more personal level. Does anybody here have someone that they do not associate themselves with because of their lifestyle and or behavior, uh, especially when they try to get them to do bad things? Probably so. When I was younger, I have, a, I have a friend. I haven't seen him in a long time, so he's not a friend anymore. He was a friend at the time. Uh, and I knew that when I hung out with this certain person, we were always going to get into trouble. Always. Uh, that's the kind of person that he was. You know? And he wasn't, he wasn't intent just doing it by himself. He always needed a cohort to be involved in. Right? Today, as much as I have some funny stories in the past, today I, wouldn't, I would not spend time with that gentleman. He would be an acquaintance and that would be about it. Because I know that he would, he would want me to do things I ought not to do. And I say that jokingly now because I'm looking back at my time before I was a Christian and I didn't understand it. But to na now today as a Christian, I realize there are certain things I can't do, certain people I can't or don't want to spend time with because of the things they're involved in. And so that's my, that's my question as I began to think about all this. And I started this entire sermon because as I was walking out the door, the auditor said, so what are you going to preach on this week? And I said, I think I might talk about adhering to the standard of God. But as I thought about it, adhering to the standard of God really means nothing if I don't consider the impact of my conscience. Here's my, here was my thought process at the time. Would my conscience allow me to lie to my auditor in order to not have a nonconformance? Before I was a Christian, you know what the answer to that was? I would. And I did. And I hid things and I changed things and I did stuff that I ought not to do. But the question for me today as a Christian is, is would I be able to do that? The answer is no. And at no point did I. They asked the questions. I gave them truthful answers. At no point did I ever try to hide anything. But let's bring it down to another more personal level for all of us here using that work example. Would my conscience allow me, not in the case of at work, to lie to this auditor, which that's still sinful, but would it allow me to steal? Would my conscience allow me to steal? Would it allow me to go out and to become drunk? to fornicate, to commit adultery? Would my conscience allow me to do any of these areas? And here's the other question. Where individually, this is for all of us, where am I individually weak? Does anybody in here, you know, I don't want you to speak out loud, but does anybody in here know a personal weakness that they have that they constantly have to remind themselves of? I do. And I think when we have issues, we know what they are. So that's the question. Do you realize that there are areas of weakness that you constantly have to be on guard and that you constantly have to make sure that your conscience is always going back and saying that would not be acceptable? Again, where are the areas that I may struggle? Who are the people that may cause me to struggle? And each of us at some time are going to be tried with temptation. We ought to expect it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as common demand. Guys, we all deal with the same problems that have been taking place since the beginning of time. And how many of you guys have ever heard, ever heard someone say, why me? Why has this always happened to me? It's nothing new. These issues we deal with, they've been dealt with by other Christians. And guess what? A lot of those Christians, they got through them faithfully. And we can too. He goes on, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above the year able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Guys, our taking a stand against sin and our refusing to be unequally yoked 
because of our conscience, that is going to cause an issue. Let me give you one more passage here. 1 Peter 4.16 Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In all things, whether we're talking about matters of worship, whether we're talking about matters of our individual life as are directed through the Scriptures, the goal is to have a good conscience. Us maintaining a good conscience, one, to be in alignment with the Scriptures, or two, in areas even of of personal faith, that is going to cause a response from the world around us. But here's the thing, guys, that, that is the entire purpose that we have this. We have the Word of God so that our conscience not only is grounded on the foundation of His Word, but that we can then have confidence in what is righteous or not righteous and not allow the world around us to bother us when they reject the things that we say and do and how we behave. My concern would be for anybody watching this who's not a Christian. I do want your conscience to condemn you if you've not yet obeyed the gospel. I mean, I honestly do. I want you to become a Christian. If you're watching this and you've not obeyed the gospel, I hope that your conscience, after listening to what I'm going to say, condemns you. You are not, you are not in a righteous situation if you have not obeyed the gospel. That's the most loving way we can say it. Obeying the gospel is not hard. Just do what they did in the book of Acts in the conversion accounts. People were teaching the Word of God. That's how faith comes. Romans 10, 17, they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, John 8, 24, and they had faith, Hebrews 11, 6. They understood that they were sinners and they needed to repent of their sin, just as Christ commanded, Luke 13, 3 and 5. That belief that He was the Messiah, that belief that they need to repent of their sins, also drives them to understand the need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and finally, the culminating act in all the conversion accounts, that faith in Christ and who He is and His Word drove them to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38, and as we already showed, Matthew 26.28, that's how we access this remission of sins, which was uh, allowed through the blood of Christ. If you're here and you've not done that, you are condemned before God at this point if you die in that situation. We want you to obey the gospel. Lovingly, we ask, if you have not, please ask us to study with you. If you're here and you're a Christian, look back at the areas where you may have struggled. Begin to ask yourself, did your conscience in any part try to prevent you? Did you try to prevent yourself? Was it either you didn't know, or was it too that you didn't have the willpower? But again, the conscience has got to be based on the Word of God as we allow it to judge our actions which then affects all of our future actions. So I draw this to a close. If there's a way we can help you in any way, you can come forward as we are led in a song of invitation.